you're listening to Tatiana Is Everyone, an Orphan Black podcast. I'm your host, Chris. And I'm Stephanie. And if you are new to the show, this is not a spoiler-free podcast. We are discussing the series in its entirety, which as of this recording is the first season. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about the Neolutionists and the Proletheans. And of course, we set these two groups together for this episode because they're both sort of these menacing institutions that are introduced sort of in opposition to each other and to the clones. They've they've got opposing ideas about the clones and cloning itself. So, so we thought it would be a good idea to put them together. And sort of both have interests in the clones in ways that the clones are not really interested in. You know, they the clones are, are not treated particularly well by either organization at this point. Yes, hence my use of the word menacing. Menacing, indeed, it was appropriate. <laughs> yes, thank you. So let's start off talking about the Neolutionists, or, or let's start out talking about Neolutionism, because, you know, basically when introduced, it's it's sort of introduced as this fringe science, and there's sort of this this group of people who believe in essentially body modification, but like on a genetic level, it seems, right? The, yeah. The freaky leakies and their white hair and one white eye. And- right. And so when Cosima hears about them from Delphine, her reaction is kind of, Ugh, th- those people, they're, they're kind of strange. And we see Leaky give this talk in a very, it seems to be at least, very non-scientific crowd. He's not talking to other biologists, chemists, what have you, you know, um, pathologists, he's talking to the public. So the neolutionism seems to be the public front of a particular idea around self-directed evolution. And come to think of it, I mean, that that lecture that I gave kind of sounded like a sales pitch, didn't it? It did. It was like, come join our cult. You'll get your own white eye. Ha ha! You know? <laughs> <laughs> They've got their own symbol and everything. It's a little, I'm a little iffy about them, as we're supposed to be. Right. Because, you know, we also see at Club club Neolution, I, I, I don't really want to call Neolutionism a social movement that makes it sound a little more serious than it is. But yeah, it's a little cultish. They even have their own kind of establishment for people who embrace these ideas and maybe even have embraced these ideas surgically can can hang out with each other. Would subculture be a better word? Yes, thank you. It's a it's a it's a fringe subculture. That's a great word for it. Yeah, there you go. And then, so neolutionism sort of seems like the the fringe group, as you keep saying. And then there's the Dyad Institute, which Doctor Leakey is also involved with, which seems like like a legit organization, or at least perhaps more respected than this idea of neolutionism. We it, granted we we only see Cosima and Delphine talk about it, so we don't I don't think have the greatest idea of maybe how the larger scientific community might perceive the Dyad Institute, but they seem to be running legitimate science. I mean, at least Cosima was pretty impressed by the experiments they were running. Right, that's what I'm saying is, you know, here Cosima was so sort of skeptical about the neolutionism stuff but seemed, you know, impressed by the Dyad Institute. So I, I don't know. I guess just as an audience member, we're sort of 
led to believe that there's more credibility to the Dyad Institute, just because Cosima seems to think so. Correct. Right. So yeah, I have this question of what is the relationship between Neolutionism and the Dyad Institute? If they're really doing legitimate science, what maybe is sort of their ultimate goal with this kind of subculture, you know, the, the, this idea, this this uh, concept that they're putting out there of Neolutionism? What is the goal of that if they're actually doing like really legitimate science? Or is the main connection just Dr. Leakey? Yeah, which that's a good point. I mean, it could be, but then I mean, even that is significant just because, you know, if he's a major player in one and he's a major player in the other, you know, one would expect there's some sort of connection there. And right, we have we have pretty good clues in regards to the Diet Institute that they're probably at least one, there could be multiple, who knows, but they're they're probably behind the clone experiment. Maybe there's other groups involved as well. But that makes me wonder how exactly is the clone experiment pertinent to maybe some of these goals we're hearing in, in neolutionism, this idea of self-directed evolution. I can kind of see, I can kind of maybe think about some ways why, why it would be pertinent to them. But I guess the, I've, I have more difficulty understanding how the social experiment aspect that they're doing is pertinent to that as well. Do you have any ideas about it, Chris? I I don't know. This is, I think, perhaps the subject for a future episode, because there is all sorts of stuff. I, I was very confused about this, too, at one point when I was really thinking about it, because it is a social experiment combined with a scientific clone experiment, experiment pardon me. And so I just, I don't know, because to me, one would sort of muddle the results of the other, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Or at least, I think adding in the social experiment would muddle the results of the scientific experiment is my thinking anyway, but depending on what they're going for, because we don't actually know what the experiment's purpose is. So, mm -hmm. so many questions. Cause I can see if, if your goal is to be able to direct your, your evolutionary track, how you choose, I can see where mastering cloning would be helpful to that end. But yeah, the social experiment aspect, I can't really wrap my head around why that would be something that at least the Diet Institute would be interested in. Right. So we've we've mentioned perhaps the, the big connection between Diad and Neolutionism is Dr. Leakey. So let's talk a little bit about Dr. Leakey, whose name I cannot stand. I think Leakey's a stupid name. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> his name is actually very significant because... Aldous, his name is Aldous Leakey, and probably most, probably recognizably to most people, Aldous was the first name of Aldous Huxley, who wrote the, the novel Brave New World, which is all about cloning. This is a show all about cloning. We've also had Huxley Station as another little nod to Brave New World and some other stuff in there as well. But then the last name, I didn't realize this. My, my partner, who's an anthropologist, actually pointed this out to me. But uh, the Leakey family, it's spelled differently, L-E-A-K-E-Y, they are a very famous family of paleoanthropologists, Lewis, Mary, Richard, Maeve. They're the, the big names in there. And all of them have made different discoveries regarding the 
different sort of species of human ancestors, Australopithecus being the the primary one. So like Maeve discovered a skull and partial jaw of what was thought to be a new branch of the early human family. Mary discovered the first proconsul skull, which is an extinct ape believed to be an ancestor of humans. So, you know, names are very significant on Orphan Black. So here we have Aldous Leakey, his first name definitely uh, referencing Aldous Huxley having to do with cloning his last name, Maybe not, but probably referencing the Leakey family paleoanthropologist having to do with evolution. So a perfect cloning plus evolution, that's sort of what he represents inside the show. And everybody's minds are now blown. Blown! (laughs) (laughs) Okay, and so also, you know, here, Leakey's the public face of neolutionism, but we don't actually know if he's in charge or if he's in charge of of the Dyad Institute or anything. Uh, he says he has higher ups, but is is that true? We don't really know, right? Because he tells Sarah that he he has bosses, but he could be lying. He could be completely in charge of everything that's going on. We, but you know, I but I do have this question of. Could maybe Rachel Duncan, the the clone raised by the organization, could she be above him? Because we see her kind of telling him what to do a little bit on the phone. Well, because the thing, too, about Rachel, I mean, Leaky basically fails in his attempts to talk to Sarah, at which point Sarah's interactions with the Dyad Institute or Neolution and this or whoever gets handed off to Rachel so that also is part of my, well, is is she higher up the chain than Leaky, you know? But he does seem to be the closest thing we've we've seen to a mastermind, right? But behind the clone experiment, unless Rachel's higher right. up in the organization than he is. But again, I think that's a little vague at this point. The thing is that Leaky seems to be much more involved with the science than Rachel does. Rachel seems more like like a business end of whatever's going on. It, it seems like, again, we've gotten very little of Rachel thus far, but we've always seen her, you know, sitting at a fancy desk behind a computer versus Leaky, who's talking science with Cosima half the time. So who knows? Something that I think is really interesting about Leaky is that he seems kind of disgusted with, with the freaky Leakies. So I find that very interesting because he's this face of neolutionism but what what we see of neolutionism, it, it leads to people with, you know, white eyes and gray hair and tails. But he seems to be a, li- a bit more passionate about the more practical aspect, uh, the more practical applications of this research. So, again, it just sort of confuses me, sort of this connection between neolutionism and the Dyad Institute. Right. Of course, his his whole pitch about, you know, fixing eyesight and everything is... In a, in a lecture given to the public, so it is, you know, it's not like he's talking to the people at Club Neolution, you know what I mean? True, true. So it is like the the broader appeal of Neolutionism as opposed to the more targeted, you know, speaking to the people who are already sort of into whatever you're telling them. Or, if that you makes know, any would, sense. would want a tale. <laughs> well, there you go. And speaking of tales, let's talk about Olivier. Olivier Duval, which is a classy pseudonym, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Olivier. I mean, his storyline, he just seemed like such an evil, evil guy. And then he just gets completely, 
he gets killed in this completely humiliating way. You know, he, he had a very, very stark storyline this season. Indeed. I, I actually kind of, it's kind of amusing, though. Because <laughs> he's all menacing. And no, he's got a tail. Mm-hmm. And then, Which, you know, he's being what? suspended in a hospital with his, you know, butt available for everybody to look at. And, you know, all this, all this, they took my tail. Shut up, Olivier. <laughs> are, are we evil because we're so amused by his loss of tail? I, probably. But it, it's a freaking tail. You don't. If you're going to have a tail, a pretty bad dude too. Yeah. If you're going to have a tail, you need like a nice prehensile tail, a nice monkey tail that's actually useful, not just this cute little thing that wags around. That that did not look particularly useful as tails go. <laughs> that was like a cat tail. <laughs> oh dear. I am kind of amused too that he's he's like, "Yeah, you want to see it?" <laughs> uh, when they mentioned it earlier cuz Right. You know. Right. He's proud of his tail. Right, but then I was abused because that kind of that's kind of what got him in trouble because cause then Helena's like, yeah, I do want to see it. I do want to see it. Show me your tail. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought it was interesting that Olivier had a criminal history. And we had this suggestion from Paul that he was involved with Dyad, whomever he works for. Because they were blackmailing him in regards to what happened in the military, a friendly fire incident. But I don't get the sense from what from the exchange between Olivier and Paul that they are necessarily blackmailing Olivier the same way that they are blackmailing Paul. Right. Well, because Paul says, you know, oh, I know your real name is Kevin and that you have a raft of unsavory sex warrants is what Paul says to Olivier slash Kevin. And then Olivier responds, oh, the organization knows that. So, I mean, it is one of those things, like, I don't know, I guess from his tone, it doesn't sound like they're using it against him, really, to me. Yeah, but, it doesn't to me either, but maybe they are, and maybe that's, you know, that's how they get people to work for them, is is blackmail, because they're doing, they're carrying out an illegal experiment. So that could be how they're, how they're finding personnel. Great hiring, possible, hiring technique. <laughs> I mean, to me, that it kind of sounds like maybe the organization like sought out an unsavory character to be their their henchman, thug, whatever. <laughs> Does that make any sense? Yeah, because it, because he has a tail, that implies he's bought into the neolutionism. Values, the neolutionist values. So he's at least on board in that regard. So yeah, maybe they're not blackmailing him. Maybe, maybe it was just sort of uh, they took note of him because he sort of had bought into the organization's ideas, and they they thought he might be useful. Yeah, we need somebody shady to do our dirty work. Here's somebody that is has joined our cult. (laughs) Right. Let's let's put him to work for us. I don't know. Just throwing it out there. So then we've also got Astrid, who is a freaky leaky, essentially. And she's basically a henchman, wouldn't you say? Yeah, we don't really get to know much about Astrid. She's freaky leaky. She kind of, she doesn't even really beat people up, but she's just sort of, you know, she's Olivier's backup in some way. But it is interesting to see a a woman in that role rather than a man. Mm Mm-hmm. 
she just sort of stands there menacingly in the background is is sort of what she does. And she does look kind of menacing with the the eye and everything. So mm-hmm. maybe maybe uh, the, the the white eyes do have some sort of of benefit to them besides just looking cool, <laughs> like like lasers, like lasers. <laughs> well, I think she admitted that hers isn't real yet, right? She doesn't actually have yeah. a, a white she, eye. She did tell that to uh, Felix. Okay. And so finally, we're, there's Paul, who clearly has been working for the organization as a monitor for for Beth and now for Sarah. But what what is kind of his role now? Because he seemed to go rogue for a bit where he was kidnapping. Well, not kidnapping, but like blindfolding Leaky and bringing him to meetings with Sarah and, you know, t- helping Sarah out. But then he's in the building when Sarah goes to meet with Rachel. So does that mean he's still in the fold? I guess so. But it seems like it because he he starts talking about the blackmail again. So. Right. Exactly. You know, that kind of, you know, they've got this stuff over me. I can't get away from that. So but I'm curious if there'll be any sort of consequence from him maybe not quite defecting for a little bit if you know what is his role going to be now that uh, after the after we see the conclusion of season one so yeah i i don't know i'm kind of curious to see what will happen with with paul yeah so now let's move on to the prolethians which i guess is a religious organization we don't actually know do we no we have they they have a name we've seen some people who call themselves prolethians but is it just like a political or religious sect? Are they in a separate organization? You know, I, I, I'm just am unclear. Right. And of course, I'm sure some of this stuff at least is going to get addressed in the second season, one would hope, because they've left all these all these questions, which we're going to be asking now. And so they seem to have contact of some kind with the Dyad people slash neolutionists or something. I mean, we, we know that they know about each other. Uh, we know Leaky knows who they are. So, like, what does that mean then? And, you know, what are their goals? I mean, do, do they exist solely to take out the clones one by one using the clone that they've raised, which seems very odd to me? <laughs> It's, not it's very... a very specific goal. <laughs> not very Christian of them either. <laughs> anyway. But yeah, and then there's the question of how did they become aware of the clone experiment? Because I, I feel like Helena Helena probably had something to do with it. Maggie Chen probably had something to do with it. But how exactly did the Prolethians become aware of the clone experiment? I would I would really like to know that. Hopefully they will eventually tell us. Eventually. And so let's talk about the name, because I was thinking about this a lot. Where does the name Prolethian come from? And the thing my mind went to was the river Lethe in in Greek mythology. And Lethe is actually a Greek word that sort of translates as like oblivion or forgetfulness or concealment, which to me sort of, in essence, is like the opposite of science which is the the goal of science is to gain knowledge. So to me, there's significance there, potentially. Thoughts? No, I think that's, I think that's a really good idea. Because as you know, names are important on Orphan Black. I don't think they're 
just called the Prolethians because that sounded cool to somebody. So I think that that's a really good idea because essentially if if it's pro, that means four, right? And mm-hmm. then Lethe, if we're talking about it as forgetfulness or concealment, you know, maybe people who are for that type of obfuscation, I guess, you know, the opposite of, of scientific inquiry. So, you know, the name in that regard would suggest that, you know, they're for this, they're not for that other thing. Right. And then, of course, when you when you do a search, as we found out, <laughs> when you do a search for Prolethia on on Google, there's a lot of suggestions about Promethean. Like, did you mean Promethean? No, we did not. But, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or which, did we? <laughs> or did we? But, you know, Prometheus in Greek mythology, again, is is somebody who was damned to eternal torment by Zeus. He's chained to a rock and, and a some sort of bird. I think it's an eagle comes and rips out his liver every day and then it grows back again and the eagle comes and rips it out because the Greeks, you know, they took torment very seriously. <laughs> and so... We, you know, went to Wikipedia, which again, Wikipedia, we're not saying this is 100% accurate, but it was interesting because there was a section on Wikipedia talking about the the significance of Prometheus in the Western classical tradition. And I thought this was interesting. It says, Prometheus became a figure who represented human striving, particularly the quest for scientific knowledge and the risk of overreaching or unintended unintended consequences. In particular, he was regarded in the Romantic era as embodying the lone genius whose efforts to promote human existence could also result in tragedy. Mary Shelley, for instance, gave the modern Prometheus as the subtitle to her novel Frankenstein. And so thinking about the Prolethians as sort of warning about the people overreaching for scientific knowledge, these these potential unintended consequences, I think that might also be significant the fact that it sounds a bit like Promethean. Or we're making stuff up, but but it's still interesting and still valid. I indeed. I'd say. Our 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 speculation is still interesting even if it is untrue. <laughs> it is the unintended consequences of naming them Prolethians. Yes. See I tied it back around there. <laughs> it was very good. It was very good. I liked it. So obviously the the major Promethean I'm doing it now. So obviously the major Promethean <laughs> figure that we see on the show is Tomas. And he's a very mysterious guy. You know, we still have a he's still alive. Helena tried to claw him out and claw his eyes out and beat the crap out of him, but Sarah just pistol whipped her and put him in a cage. So he's still alive. He's still out there. He could still be a threat to the clones in some way, even though Helena's now dead. And we have a lot of questions, I think, about his relationship with Helena. Helena, how long had he been a guardian to Helena? And we talked more about this in the episode about Helena that we did. I, so we, we're not going to retread everything that we say there. There's a lot of speculation we do there about the Prolethians. So you can go back and listen to that episode if you want to hear more of that. Right. But I, I think it's still, it's sort of interesting, like, is Tomas the leader or a leader of the Prolethians? Because we don't really, we don't really know. We don't, we know so little about the Prolethean organization, assuming it is an organization. I, I'm just, I'm very curious and interested in what, what's going on with them, because we've seen very little of it. So and we don't even know what happened to Tomas after being locked in the cage, because you know, Sarah took off with the key, presumably. So, you know, is is he still there? Did somebody come and rescue him from the ship that he and Helena were staying on? We don't know. 
Right, because as as far as we know, the Prolethians could have been three people. You know, it could have been Tomas, Maggie Chen, Maggie Chen, and Helena, and that's it. So would anybody come looking for Tomas, given that he was locked in a cage, or would he eventually starve or die of dehydration down there because he had no food or water? Which, shame on him for locking up Helena under the same circumstances, and frankly, he deserved it. <laughs> yes, we are not throwing a pity party for Tomas. He is not a kind man. No. So, so getting back to name meanings, I looked up Thomas, and Thomas means twin, which I see what you did there, Orphan Black. <laughs> so yes, uh, definitely a nod to the fact that Helena and Sarah are twins. But could it also mean that there's another Tomas out there? Hmm. hmm. Maybe not exactly. <laughs> obviously, I'm not saying like the same person, an actual twin, but is there somebody else in the in the organization kind of uh, who fills a similar role as Tomas that we haven't seen yet? Presumably we'll find out in season two. And then I personally have a lot of questions about Maggie Chen. You know, we know from, from art that she was in her forties and she was single and she was a, a churchgoer. And we know that Beth killed her and then lied to art and they kind of covered up the shooting. But how did Beth become aware of Maggie is my big question. Because she didn't tell Allison and Cosima about it. Right, which seems odd. I mean, this whole thing seems very, very odd, which, of course, especially with Beth committing suicide. I mean, there's just there's nothing but questions here, really. I don't know, because there's this whole thing. Apparently, she and Art were working on something else when... Uh, allegedly when she came across Maggie Chen or, or was that part of the story that they concocted? I don't know. Uh, I, too many I, questions. I think it was part of the story that, that they concocted because I believe when Sarah is doing the false testimony, she says that she thought Maggie Chen was this other woman because she had seen her on some sort of alert bulletin earlier that morning. So I think right. that was part of the story that she and Art came up with. Like, okay, we need to figure out who you you can say she thought she was you thought she was in order to right. use that that type of deadly force against her well but it, i mean i think they started out the story with they were working on some other case when she came across this woman that she thought was this other woman that it, it's all very convoluted and i'm a okay. little confused about it apparently still okay. i could be misremembering and, I, I thought it i thought she said she had seen the the woman's picture on like a, a rap sheet of some kind but um, she she did okay she did but the way they started it off it sounded like they were working on another case and then saw this woman that she had recognized from another thing see what i mean never mind it's all it's all it's strangely convoluted and <laughs> it is. But but then I mean there's the whole thing about how she called Art is what she says. She called Art before calling the cops. So it does seem like maybe Beth was out on her own and so you know probably had discovered Maggie Chen. So yeah, I mean how how did she know about that? Was was Maggie Chen scoping out Beth? You know, in like did that is that how Beth came across her like did Maggie Chen inadvertently reveal herself or something? Because, I mean, Maggie Chen was in Toronto, apparently. Because we know Helena wasn't yet there because Helena was killing people in Europe, apparently. Right. And was so following Katya. Was Maggie, like, sent ahead to kind of scope out Beth 
like uh, you know, because because Helena was tracking Katya, so Mag maybe Maggie was sent ahead to sort of like find the clones in Toronto, and so when Helena came, she kind of had a a, a heads up. But yeah, I I really want to know how, and it would make sense that if Beth is a cop, she might be more likely to recognize, oh, this woman is following me. This woman is is um observing me for some reason it makes sense that she of all the clones that we've seen so far would be more able to maybe pick that out of a crowd you know what i mean right i mean because we knew that katya and beth were in contact too so maybe since we knew that helena was following katya maybe they'd somehow cottoned on to the fact that katya was in contact with beth you know what right. i mean so maybe like, that's maybe they how... found beth that beth that way yeah that's a good point but yeah, what exactly was Maggie Chin's role in the Polythian organization? Are there other Maggie Chins out there? And then, you know, Helena mentions that Maggie used to be part of the clone experiment. So was she the one who clued, them, clued the Polythians into the clone experiment? Or did they know about it before she even got there? Right. I, I think that's my confusion, too. Like, is Maggie Chin, did she defect the Polythians or was she acting as a double agent within the Dyad Institute or whoever is doing the clone experiment. Right, because Helena kind of, the way that Helena phrases it, I guess I assumed that she was a scientist and then maybe discovered Jesus. Jesus came into her life in a new way, et cetera, et cetera. You know, she had a, a re, a change in her relationship to God. And so, she became uncomfortable with the experiment and then left for the Prolethians. So that's sort of how I interpreted it. But it is also quite possible that she was put there on purpose by the Prolethians to try to get information. As I said, so many questions. <laughs> yeah, I, I I think that kind of like wraps it up for talking about the Prolethians and the Neolutionists. And really, all we've done is ask a bunch of questions. <laughs> but if you that have we any... we will have to think about for another four months. For another four months. <laughs> But if you have any ideas about any of these questions, anything you think we've missed in the series that might, you know, give us some more clues, please let us, let us know. We would love to hear your feedback. You can send us an email to feedback at tatianaiseveryone.com. You can go and leave a comment on the show notes for this episode over at tatianaiseveryone.com. Or you can call or leave a message on our listener voicemail line at 972-514-7223. And as a reminder, we will not have a new episode on the 26th, but we will have a new episode on January 2nd. So that wraps up our episode on the Neolutionists and the Prolethians. Thank you for listening. <laughs> <laughs>